0: This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. Let's go ahead and pick up back in John chapter 13. We have uh, been following Jesus and his ministry through John. He's been dealing with The Pharisees, of course, dealing with a lot of unbelievers. And uh, he's, he's also had a following of folks. And they have watched his miracles. And some followed him just because of that. Some followed him because they wanted to hear what he had to say. But as we are drawing closer to the cross... Jesus has focused His attention on the disciples. He's gotten away from the crowd now and really uh, having one-on-one with them because He's trying to explain to them the things that are going to be happening in just a few days. He's been also mentioning to them that His death was around the corner. And we'll talk about what they thought about that. and mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, and as we've been going through this, but as He has gathered them into this upper room here, and these twelve disciples, He is uh, He's done some interesting things. You remember how He washed their feet, and that took them by shock and surprise. Some of them, like Peter, didn't even want Him to do that, and Jesus was showing a great example of uh, love to his disciples. And he will mention this thing about love and what they are to do when he uh, is gone. And so that's that lesson in itself is something not just for these disciples, but it's for us who are children of God as well. And so we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Let's go back to verse 21 and just recap a few verses so we're not just jumping into what this conversation here but after Jesus had begun to discuss with them some things it says in verse 21 when Jesus had thus said he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said verily verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me so Jesus is, is really showing what's going through his mind right now. He's also letting them know that one of you, one of you 12 here, are going to be one that will betray me. Verse 22, Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of whom he spake. So they had no idea. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. And he then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? So, none of them knowing who, who the one is. You know, I can only imagine what's going through their mind. You know, am I going to be the one that's going to betray the Lord? Surely, surely not me, not me, and each, each one of them. And so the, John, of course, over there, very close to Jesus, and Peter saying, hey, you're right there at Jesus. Won't, won't you just ask him so we can find him? This is driving us crazy here. And Jesus' answer was like this he it is to whom i shall give a sup when i have dipped it and when he had dipped the sup he gave it unto oh he gave it to judas iscariot the son of simon so jesus in this room of 12 disciples most of them at this point in time don't even believe that jesus is going to die they just they don't they don't have that in their mind yet even though he's told them. Just a day prior to it, Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem, he would be killed. And Peter, you remember, he tried to rebuke Jesus. He said, No, you know, for God forbid, Lord, you're not, you're not going to the cross. No, we, we, this is not happening here. You're not going to die. And you remember what Jesus' reply was to him Get thee behind me, Satan. Who, who was he talking to? He's talking to the, to Peter. He's going to rebuke Peter, but he's also rebuking Satan at the same time. So Satan is influencing his mind at that particular point, and Peter's coming up with this thing: "Hey, you you're not going to the cross." Was well, Satan didn't want him to go to the cross anyway, because you know that would that would mean that there would be. Uh, a penalty of sin paid on the cross. Jesus was shed blood. So, we find here that that is a very strong possibility Satan's having, having an influence on some of these. And who is sitting in the room with Jesus and these 12 men waiting to see who He's going to use like a glove and influence them to betray the Son of God? I believe Satan's there as well. And so we find out that that certainly is getting ready to take place. Verse 27, after the sup, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. So, you know, up to this point, you remember, they didn't know who it was going to be. They they didn't know which one it was going to be. And even after this, we're going to find out they still didn't know that Judas was actually doing this deed here. So uh, I thought about this interesting as I studied into it, and as as those disciples were in there and thinking, who is it? Is it I? Is it I? You know, think about it. Who, who else could it have been in that room? And of course, now we feel like, well, it could have been nobody but Judas, but let's think about it. Remember what I said just a little bit earlier? How Satan filled Peter's mind and he wanted to use him against the Father's will? So now this is the thing. Jesus had chosen 11 out of these 12. And the devil doesn't even know who he is going to use at, the, at first at this particular point. But is it going to be Peter again? You know, Peter was pretty open to him earlier, and Jesus rebuked him. Maybe James or John, is it going to be one of them? You remember what their mother tried to do? Came one time to Jesus and said, hey, can my son sit on the right hand and on the left hand? I mean, I want them to have power and authority. You know, was was Satan going to use that? And also at one point, they called fire down from heaven on, on ignorant people. They wanted to do that. So, could have been either one of them. How about Andrew? Andrew was struggling to believe how Jesus was going to provide for the crowds. How are you going to work this out? He needed to know all the details ahead of time. And maybe he wasn't trusting the Lord completely at one point. Or he, how about Thomas? Thomas struggled with his faith, didn't he? Thomas was the kind of guy who needed to see that exactly thing, the nail prints. He had to see it before he could believe it. Well, Jesus says, this is how I'm going to tell you who it is. To the one that I dip this morsel of bread in, and I give it to them. They are the one, that's the one that's going to betray me. And there's the answer. It's Judas. Of course, we think about Judas now because we know a little bit about his story. This guy who loves money. And we know that he done some, some things about the carrying the money bag and he stole from it. But look at what verse 27 said. After the sup, Satan entered into him and then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. Why is that verse important to think about ourselves? Remember 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So I think as for our lives, we have to examine ourselves. You know, we'll we'll do that before we take communion today. There will be a time when we stop and really examine our lives, examine ourselves, make sure that we're ready to take communion. So that is a, a, an important thing to do. And when I say uh, examine yourself or make sure that you're in the faith, does you know, ask questions like, does my life line up? with the profession that I say that I'm a Christian? Does that line up? Can I see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of faith in my life? Am I growing in grace? Who has my heart? What has my heart? You know, is it Jesus or is is it the world? What do I love the most? My words that I use, do they they think people up? Do they help people? and even our own language. Is it evidence that we're children of God? You know, I've been around people that say they're a Christian, but man, their conversation and their language that they use, I don't, I don't know, it just didn't seem to add up to me. So I think that the thing is here, you know, I think if we'd have been able to talk to Judas a year ago before this and ask him, hey, are you a committed follower of Jesus? He would have said Yes. Sure, I am. I'm here anna i'm I'm following him i'm I'm walking down the roads with him i'm I'm going where he's going. I'm listening to him. But then I think if we challenged Judas and we examined his life, we have would have seen some things. Yes, he is stealing money from the money bag. There are some things about his confession. and he would have I think we would have seen that he was only willing to follow Jesus as long as Jesus lined up with what he thought Jesus should be. You know, that, that was the thing with a lot of the crowds anyway. As long as Jesus was doing and the things that they thought he should do, then they were okay with that. But when Jesus would step out of that boundary and do what he knew he was best to do, then they, they would find fault with him. And many would leave. So I think that Jesus knew that the disciples would be so surprised to find out it was Judas. But Judas here followed his heart. Satan influenced him and he followed that. And so when we get to verse 28, it's interesting. It says, Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. So they're, they're all right there at the table. They're all sitting there. And he said, The one that I dipped the bread in and give it to. And then he also said, Now what you going to do, go do quickly. And they, they're not getting any of that. That's not registering with them. In fact, verse 29 says, for some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, what you do, do quickly? Go buy some seed. Go buy some things that we need against the feast. Or maybe he was going to have told him, you go give to the poor something. So, you know, <clears throat> after he got up and left, He's gone out. He's going to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that His time on earth is very short and that He's going to be nailed to the cross in just a matter of hours. So these words are some of the last things that He spoke to His disciples before He died here. So they're very important words. But of course, they have no clue here uh, that what He is doing. Verse 30. He then having received the sup went immediately out and it was night. very Getting very close to the time that all this is going to take place. Verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek Me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. Notice that word that keeps showing up in verse 31 and verse 32 is that word glorified, Glorify. So, why is Jesus continuing to talk say that word and talk about it. It's amazing what he's actually doing because he's saying the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. So that immediately takes us to think about the mind of God. It shows us the different perspective that God has compared to ours. I mean, you think about it. This is a time when when he is condemned to death in the most painful way imaginable for crimes that he didn't commit, and he's going to be abandoned by all of his friends, and I don't think we would feel if we were there at all in using the word glorify or glorify. I mean, God's in the big picture here says this is going to bring glory to himself. Why? Because Jesus is showing His ultimate love, His mercy, His compassion. He's showing us grace, His holiness, all of that in this one event on the cross. And it's most amazing and most glorious. No wonder He, u- he is using that word. In all of human history, this event. So Jesus says by giving us a glimpse here and I can imagine him looking at these disciples who who have no clue. <laughs> I mean, they're clueless about this stuff. And hearing this. And he says, I'm going to go away for a while. But where I'm going, you're not able to come right now. I mean, this is, this is not a permanent thing for you. you. You'll get there. But I have to go to the cross. And I have to die for your sin. And He says, then you will be able to be with me after that's over with. The price has to be paid. God's justice, God's wrath has to be satisfied. Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. Yeah, he tells us something in that verse. And he says, I'm going to go away for a while, but while I'm gone, I want you to just sit here and do nothing. Is that what what he's going to say to them? No, he actually says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And that new commandment is that you love one another. You know, sometimes when we read that and we ask ourselves this question, how is that a new commandment? I mean, after all, all the way back in Leviticus 19.18, God says we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, And Jesus said the same thing to the rich young ruler. Remember that? He told him that you are to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And so everything that you have. So how is that a new commandment? But Jesus looks at his disciples And I believe He he doesn't tell them to love one another as they love themselves. But He says, love one another as I have loved you. You know, it goes all the way back to the foot washing thing. He was showing that love. He was showing what they need to do to each other. And so it was a very important commandment that He gave them that they are to love one another. Now, why is it so important even for us today? Verse 35, By this, by what? By loving one another. Shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So, the world will recognize us as followers of Christ when we have that relationship to each other that's full of love. Every child of God should be able to exemplify Christ's love through them, through their life. You may look at a person and and say, because of what they look like, I don't don't love them. But then you got to step back and say, it's not about me, it's about God loving them. And if He's going to use me to speak to them and help show that love, then that's what's going to reach them. So it's very important that we do love one another. That's how the world, he said, will recognize that. Verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whether I go, thou cannot follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, will thou lay down thy life for my sake? That was a strong question directed at Peter. And then he told him this, verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. I bet you some jaws dropped to the floor then in that room. They're all thinking, Simon Peter. He sees that rock. He's strong. He's he he's the one we can we can always depend on. And now the Lord's looking at him. At first, they're shaking their head, going, "Yes, Peter, that's right. You you'll never deny him." But then, when Jesus tells him, "Yeah, you're going to do it. you you're not going to go all the way with me." So, I think. As that conversation started there, it's like, wait, wait a minute. Where did you say you're going, Jesus? Where where are you going to get up? Where are you leaving us now? Where, Where are you going? Why can't we come with you? And that's why Peter even boasts that he's willing to die for Jesus. And Jesus has to correct him. You know, Peter thought in his own mind, he said, yeah, I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm a sold out follower of Jesus, but we know down the road his faith is going to be challenged around that fire. Challenged by a little, a little girl, a young woman. Challenged. Aren't you the one that was with Jesus? No, not me. You know, our faith will be challenged. We, we can be here in church on Sunday saying, I'm a sold out follower for Christ. I'm with Him all the way. But you know what? When we go out these doors, our faith will be challenged. And, and people of the world will challenge that faith. And then we have to re- remember, hey, Holy Spirit, I need your help today, every day, to face these challenges. Help me not to deny the Lord. Help me not to take a step back and say, no, you're, you're wrong. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not a Christian. But you know, we shouldn't stand here and say that none of us would do that. Peter thought, oh, hey, I've got it all together here. But Jesus, of course, is saying, Peter, I know you say you lay down your life for me, but Peter, you won't, you won't do it. You won't do that. You think you will, but you won't. So Jesus is saying that he's going going away. Peter would deny him. Can you imagine? Things are not looking good in this room up here. You know, we've already dealt with Judas and, and, he's, and he's told him what Judas is doing and he's got up and left and now Peter's here and he's, he's, he's had to tell him what he's going to do. So I can, I can imagine the disciples are getting pretty upset here. Jesus has also said, I'm going away and you can't go right now. Wow. <laughs> I mean, things just not going good. So I want you to get the picture of how it feels in that room because chapter 14, Jesus is, is going to do something that's very important because there's a cloud of depression over that room right now. All this has taken place, and, and they are so down now. I mean, nobody's, nobody's laughing, and nobody's rejoicing right now. They, they're down. So what does Jesus do? Let's look at chapter 14. And this chapter is very familiar to a lot of you because we use it in funerals, gravesides, many times to comfort people who have lost a loved one. And these are comforting words. So, hey, you think those disciples need comforting right now? (laughs) They sure do. After all that's been going on. So what does Jesus do? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. So he says, wait a minute. I know how you're feeling right now. I know all of you are, are troubled in your hearts because of what's going on. But I want you to know that you can believe in me. And I don't want you to be troubled. And he says, he begins to tell them about this place that he's going away. They don't know where he's going. They don't know how to get there. In my Father's house, verse 2, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, you remember? They say, where are you going, Lord? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I, the Lord Jesus, will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I bet you they're starting to feel better already. Because Jesus has not only told them where He's going and what He's going to do, but He says He's going to come back for them and they are going to be where He is. Verse 4, whether I go, you know, in the way you know. So, as He begins to, to encourage them, as He begins to comfort them at this terrible time that they're going through, isn't it amazing that the very one who is going to the cross the one who is going to be arrested and beaten and mocked and nailed to the cross and have the wrath of God poured out upon him, he's concerned for his disciples. Wow. Such love the Lord Jesus showed there. He doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. And when, you know, when you read those verses and see the kind of concern that he had for his disciples, you know, if it had been you and me, we'd have stepped back and said, hey, fellas, Y'all think y'all got problems? You don't know what I got to go through. You you don't have no idea what I'm facing ahead. So don't be giving me any problem at your pity party. That wasn't the case at all, was he? He was concerned about them being troubled in their hearts. And he, knowing he had to go to the cross, here he is concerned over his disciples and that concern over them and that love to them I believe it's going to give them that peace and that comfort that they need. So it's amazing, it's so amazing that Jesus would take time to still be concerned over them. And so Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a place. And Thomas, of course, is going to answer him this way. Thomas saith in verse number five unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest and how can we know the way? So Thomas, of course, is saying, listen, I know you're telling us where you're going. Uh, We don't know how we're going to get there. And it seems like a very legitimate thing to say. And none of them at this point in time really understand or comprehend still that Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus has told them. He's tried to let them know ahead of time. But they are not getting that. They don't want to hear that. Because again, to them, what was Jesus supposed to be? Just like most of the Jews thought that day that Jesus had come to liberate them from the Roman rule. So here we are at Palm Sunday today and it was the same deal. You know the story. Jesus is riding in there on a donkey and what are they shouting? Hosanna to the highest! Our king is here to do what? Deliver us from the Roman rule. They were waving those palm branches and they were shouting at the top of their lungs because finally Jesus was here to do that. But now, in their minds, how in the world is he going to do that if he's going to the cross? How can a king deliver if he's going to die? So they certainly don't add those things together and come up with what they want to understand about this whole thing. But Jesus, of course, was here to deliver us from sin, not from the Roman rule. Much more importantly, it was from sin. And they didn't understand that. So uh, they, they don't understand that their primary need wasn't to be given their best life on earth now but a life forever. You know, a lot of folks like that. They live for today. They give everything to this world. They spend all their energy and our time. And we say, hey, live life to the fullest because tomorrow I may die. Well, are you prepared for eternity when you do die? You know, there'll be a lot of people who face Christ as their judge who gave it all on the earth but gave nothing for Christ on the earth. nothing Laid up nothing for eternity. So Jesus is saying, hey, we need to look at what's important here. Remember what Paul said? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are most men miserable. We need to understand that the Bible teaches us over and over again, we don't place our hope in this life. This life is like a vapor, isn't it? It's gone. The things of this world are so corrupted by sin. The things of this world are going to pass away. I love that old hymn, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are what? Laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I wonder how many people feel at home right here. You talk about your homes in heaven, they look at you like you're crazy. But I guarantee you, there's going to come a day when you better make sure your home is in heaven. Thomas and the others had, hadn't quite gotten that understanding. So he says, we don't know where you're going, Lord. And how can we know the way? And then there's that most familiar, important verse that's said so many times from the pulpit right here in our church. And that's verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I... See, who's he talking to? To Thomas. But also, all these disciples are hearing it too. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You remember that was their question? How can we know where you're going and how can we know the way? We don't know how to get there. Lord, how, how are we going to get there? And Jesus comes back with saying, listen, there's only one way to get there. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So it's so very important today for us to re-emphasize that to people of this world. Because we live in a world where people think there's a lot of different ways. they come up with, oh, y'all are so narrow-minded. There's many ways we can get to heaven. We can do this, we can do that. Don't, don't tell me that Jesus is the only way. Listen, folks, Jesus is the only one who died for us. He's the only one that shed his blood for us. He's the only one that was a sinless Savior. He is the only one that could do it for us. And for so people to come up with, wonder how that makes the Lord feel. People to come up with, hey, no, that, that's like saying what you did, Jesus, is not really all that important because there's other ways. Well, Jesus is certainly replying in the way of this, this statement that they need to know in this verse that the church needs to fully understand. And it's a verse that the world needs to hear. You know, if a person thinks that God is going to grant them eternal life apart from Jesus Christ, they're mistaken. Many of many folks in this world, because I'm a good guy, I don't cuss too much. I don't drink too much. I help my neighbors out. My mama loves me. <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of stuff that people come up with, but they're mistaken when it comes... They're going home to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these, these disciples here, they're, they're listening to all of this, and they, they they still have questions in their mind. Verse 7, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. From henceforth you know him and have seen him. You remember there was many times when people would question Jesus in His ministry, and Jesus would say, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. How in the world can this man forgive somebody of sins? Thy sins be forgiven thee, He would tell somebody. They'd say, how in the world can He do that? Who is He that could do that? He's God in the flesh. No wonder He could do that. So that's what He's saying here. If you'd known Me, you should have known My Father. And from henceforth ye know Him and have seen Him. So here's some more things that the disciples are asking and saying. Philip saith unto him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. (laughs) It's still not getting the part where you're looking at Him right now. You're looking at God in the flesh right here. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you that you hast thou not known me, Philip? Come on, Philip. You've been around me. You've watched me. You've listened to me. He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You see, they're, they're not grasping it all yet. They just they're not, they're not getting everything that Jesus has been teaching and saying. Verse 10 Believest thou not that I am in the Father and that the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, and he doeth the works. Everything that Jesus did was in the will of the Father. He came to do the will of the Father, and he followed through that all the way to the cross. He followed through that through the resurrection. All of it, he did the will of the Father. And that's what he came to do. And he, no wonder he used those words like glorify. I'm going to glorify the Father and the Father's going to glorify me. We work hand in hand because I'm doing the will of the Father. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me, for the very work's sake. You've seen what I've done, disciples. You, you saw the works that I've done. Nobody could have done those but, but God. Don't you believe that? Verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. <clears throat> Jesus was going to tell these disciples eventually, Go ye into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. And they were going to lay on hands. They were going to do great works because of who was in them. And he's saying, you believe in me, you'll see these works and you'll do greater works than these as well. Verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You ever thought about many times you hear people pray, and when they close their prayer, they will say, in Jesus' name we pray. And I think we we do that because that's, what, that's what's said here in verse 13. When we are asking the Lord to do some things, it says if we are to do those things whatsoever you ask in my name. I don't close my prayer and say, in Brother David's name I pray. Because I can't can't do anything. But in Jesus' name, through Christ, some great works can be done. Verse 14, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. See the importance of using his name? It's so very important. And then verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. What was that new commandment he gave? That you love one another, didn't you? So he goes back to that word love and he says, hey, you fellas in this room, and it speaks to all of us as well, if you really love me, and I'm sure they will look him in the eye, especially after hearing him rebuke Peter and seeing Judas walk out and all these other things, and he says, let me tell you something, if you love me, just do what I ask you to do. Just do what I ask you to do. Shouldn't we as Christians read the Word of God and say, hey, I need to do that. That's what the Lord asked me to do. And if I love the Lord, I'll do it. You know, if you really love someone, one of your family members, you really love them, and they ask you to do something, you'll you'll do everything in your power. You see, I'll work it out. I'll do my very best because I love you that much. Well, my goodness, if we can do that for a family member, we certainly can do it for the one who died for us, can't we? If you love me, then keep my commandments. Well, we'll stop here today. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.